Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second season of the History of Modern Greece, where we cover the subject of the fall of Constantinople to the modern day. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George. Hi, my name's George. And our music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is Season 2, Episode 66, Norman Conquests, Part 1, The Rise of Normandy. In our last episode, we caught the narrative up to the beginning of the First Crusade, but stopped just shy of the first emperor of the Komnenos dynasty. Anyone who knows anything about the Crusades knows that it was Emperor Alexios I who sent a letter to the Pope asking him for help. He was hoping to get a few thousand knights to fight off the Turks in Anatolia, but what he got in response was hundreds of thousands of crusaders who changed the course of history forever. But instead of continuing the story with Emperor Alexios, we have two more actors we have to introduce. One of them is the Seljuk Turks, and the other is the subject of this episode, and that is the Normans. Who are the Normans? Well, we talked about them in our Viking origin story episode. When the Northmen besieged the city of Paris, led by the mighty warrior Rollo, the king of western Francia made a deal that Rollo couldn't refuse. The king of west Francia granted the lands at the mouth of the Seine River to the Vikings. The Frankish king was tired of Viking armies sailing up and down the river, pillaging and raiding the countryside. And even though his decision was mocked by his contemporaries, giving a piece of Frankish soil to the Vikings turned out to be the best decision for him. The Viking Rollo became the duke of his own realm. Now talk about a prize. The Vikings were in search of booty, and what they get in return is an entire kingdom. But there was a caveat. Rollo the Viking was no longer to be a Viking. Viking is a verb. To go Viking is to go raiding. Rollo had to be the steward of the land. He was to become its protector. His new role was not one of raiding and pillaging. His new role was that of protecting. But just how the hell was the Catholic king of West Francia to justify putting a Norse pagan warrior in charge of the Christian lands of West Francia? How could he explain that to his contemporaries? How could he justify this to the Pope or to his own subjects? Hey, I know we're all Christians and everything, but uh, just hear me out. I'm going to put the most badass Viking pagan Odin-worshipping heathen in charge of your lands. There was no way this was going to look good for the public relations of the king of West Francia. It was one thing to give a wagon full of gold and silver to the Vikings so they would stop killing and raping their subjects. But it was an entirely different thing to give them authority over their subjects. Rollo could only become the legitimate ruler of the West Frankish lands at the mouth of the Seine River if he were to become baptized as a Catholic Christian 
and swear his allegiance to the king of West Francia and the Pope in Rome. Rollo was a giant, a brute, a warrior, but this would make him a legitimate ruler over his own lands. It was a gift from God, or rather, a desperate king. Rollo accepted the offer and converted to Christianity. It is said that at his baptism, the king of West Francia demanded he swear his loyalty to the crown by kissing the king's foot. But Rollo, being too proud a man, had one of his subordinates do it for him. And instead of bending down to kiss his foot, the Viking warrior grabbed the king's foot, yanked him up to his level, and kissed it while the king dangled in the air. This account is obviously fabricated, but it shows the position the newly baptized Vikings held in regard to the king. The story of the Normans starts here, with a Viking warlord too large to ride a horse converting to Catholicism and taking up the role of duke over a part of France. He couldn't keep the name Rollo, and so took the Christian name of Robert. The land at the mouth of the Seine, that portal to the heart of Europe that thousands of Vikings had taken before to raid the continent, was now sealed off, guarded by a Christian duke, Robert. The area became known as the Land of the Northmen, what we call today Normandy. To be honest, the history of the Normans is a continuation of the history of the Vikings. And the reason we put this much effort into explaining who the Vikings were and how they became the Normans is that they played a pivotal role in destroying the remnants of the Eastern Roman or Byzantine Empire. So let's start with Rollo, who is now going to be referred to as Duke Robert of Normandy. Duke Robert was a Viking at heart. His people were warriors, brutes, and savages from the cold, uncivilized north called Scandinavia. But ever since Rollo's baptism, the nobles and warriors quickly adopted the Christian customs and religion, and even adopted a crude version of the Roman language. This is not too different from that of the Franks, who only a few centuries earlier adopted Catholicism and the Roman language, in favor of their old Germanic language and religion. The Normans guard the mouth of the mighty Seine River and prevented other Vikings from pillaging their land. They were the gatekeepers. But did the Normans really protect the lives of the Frankish and Latin peasants living in the lands of Normandy? Well, yes and no. The peasants were the property of the Normans, so they didn't want any other Vikings harassing them. But the Normans had a superiority complex. They were taller, stronger, and more brutal than the peasants living in the lands they now controlled. But to be honest, this land was also a wasteland. A century of Viking raids had destroyed the countryside and every village. Almost every settlement had been plundered. The gold and crops stolen. The men sold to the Arabs as slaves. The women taken as sex slaves. The Normans were ruthless and subjugated their peasants with an iron fist. Normandy became a place where Viking raiders could retire from their life of raiding. 
For even though Duke Robert was now a Christian, the land was still ruled by Northmen. The Duke of Normandy was a subject of the King of West Francia, but this was a largely independent realm. The King of West Francia was propped up by the strength of the Northmen. Across the sea in Britannia, another Northman was crowned king, and his name was Guthrum. The Vikings were starting to settle the lands they once raided and were adopting the religion of their subjects to legitimize their rule. But it is also very likely that they still believed in their ancestral god of Odin. Duke Robert of Normandy ruled over his duchy until his death, around the year 928 and was succeeded by his son, William Longsword. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America Podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mew. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. William Longsword, the son of Rollo the Walker, William was born when Duke Robert was still a pagan and went by the name Rollo. But he was baptized in the Christian faith and followed in his father's footsteps by ruling over the lands granted to them by the king of West Francia. He was most likely baptized at the same time as his father, so his roots were still that of the Viking. He would have been brought up with the lore of Thor, Odin and Freya, but now he was a Christian duke. To show just how fragile this new system was for the Northmen, a rebellion quickly rose up. The Northmen, who were still pagan, challenged William's authority over them. It seems that not all Vikings were willing to betray their god, or maybe they thought that they had just as much right to be a duke over Normandy as William. After all, many of them fought the wars against West Francia. Why shouldn't they be the ones to rule over the newly acquired land? In the eyes of the Northmen, William was selling out their culture, identity, and language, and they were not happy about it. The rebellion was serious enough that William sent his pregnant wife away. He fought against the usurpers, and while he won a decisive battle, that legitimized himself as the rightful ruler by might, his wife gave birth to a baby boy, and he was named Richard. The rebellion was crushed, but the fighting continued. And why wouldn't it? These men were still Vikings at heart. The Northmen, or Vikings, turned their attention to the lands to their west, Brittany, and raided into their lands and pillaged their villages. When they came across Brittany castles, they tore them down, stone by stone, and burned the settlements behind the walls to the ground. You might ask yourselves, who or what is Brittany? 
Why is it located in France? Well, Brittany is that small peninsula in France that skirts out beneath England. It is the land that the original Britons fled to when the Saxons first invaded England at the end of the Western Roman Empire, approximately 500 years before this time. They hated the Saxons for expelling them from their homeland, and now they were under siege by a similar foe who expelled them from Britain. William Longsword proved himself to be a valiant warrior and defeated those who rose up against him. William was a strong and established ruler of Normandy. Meanwhile, the king of West Francia was barely holding on to power which just goes to show how weak the kingdom of West Francia had become. The Norman duke had more control over his subjects than the king of West Francia did over his own. When Duke William openly supported the Frankish king, he was granted more lands, extending his control over Normandy. In 935 CE, William took a new wife, a Christian wife, Even though he already had a pagan wife, and now a pagan son, the marriage was not a Christian one, but a new wife, with a Frankish noblewoman, solidified his control and rule over Normandy, and his dowry granted him even more lands. Unfortunately, his new Christian wife never bore him any sons. In 940, William Longsword... Duke of Normandy, met personally with the king of West Francia, Louis IV. He pledged his loyalty to the new king and was in turn granted even more land. The Northman kingdom in Francia was growing stronger and wider, and a peace treaty was signed between the king of West Francia and the Normans, which prevented them from claiming any more lands in Brittany. But the enemies were numerous. You can't live your entire life killing and ravaging your neighbors and not expect a little retribution. On December 17th, 942, William was ambushed and cut down with swords. The Duke of Normandy, William Longsword, son of Rollo the Walker, was dead. Because his Christian wife had yet to bear many sons, the rule fell to his son Richard, who was born from pure Viking blood. The only problem was that Richard was only ten years old when his father was assassinated. It's very hard to rule a kingdom of Vikings when you are only ten years old. In this world, might makes right, and ten-year-olds hold very little might. But the king of West Francia took little Richard under his wing. He needed the Duke of Normandy to be loyal to him. And so he brought the young man into France, where he raised him and educated him, solidifying his Christian and Frankish loyalty. But very quickly, the king of West Francia realized he held a lot of power by holding the rightful heir to Normandy, and broke up the duchy of Normandy. He now held the young Duke of Normandy in captivity and planned to take back the lands given to the Vikings. So even at this time, 
the kings of West Francia thought the deal with the Vikings was only temporary. However, the Normans and peasants of Normandy thought otherwise. And soon a mob of warriors and peasants alike assembled and marched upon the palace of the West Frankish King Louis IV and demanded the release of the young Richard. King Louis quickly realized the folly of his actions and held up the young Richard and claimed that he was only educating and guiding the young Duke for his role as Duke. Richard was ultimately released and returned to Normandy where the pagan army brought him home and proclaimed him as their ruler. However, there was no trust left between King Louis IV of Francia and the Viking Normans. Richard quickly allied himself with the Norman and Viking warriors of Normandy as well as soldiers from Denmark and marched upon West Francia, where they captured the Frankish king. Once King Louis was captured, they forced him to recognize Richard as the rightful duke of Normandy. You would think that at this point Louis would accept Richard as the rightful ruler of Normandy, but he was too proud. Louis turned to his contemporary in the east. At this point, the relatives to Louis IV in East Francia were gone, and now a Saxon ruler was king of East Francia. In fact, the Saxon king in East Francia had made his way to Italy and took the crown of Charlemagne and was proclaimed Holy Roman Emperor. King Louis, with the aid of Otto I, Holy Roman Emperor, marched west and confronted the Vikings and Normans in a final effort to expel them from the land. But the Normans were too many and too strong and they repelled the army right out of Normandy. What resulted was a mutually assured peace. The Normans were here to stay. In 954, King Louis IV of West Francia died. His son Lothair was crowned King of West Francia. At this point in history, the Duke of Normandy was the grandson of Rollo. His name was Richard I, and he was only 22 years old. And the king of West Francia was even younger, only 13. The strength of the Western Frankish kingdom was weaker than ever. Meanwhile, Richard and the Normans were stronger than ever. Lothar had a son in 967 and named him after his father, Louis V. Lothar co-ruled the weakened Frankish kingdom with his son Louis V, and when Lothar died, Louis V, the last living descendant of Charlemagne the Great, ruled for a few miserable years. Like many rulers in history, King Louis V loved hunting, and while on one of his hunting trips, he fell off his horse and died. Louis V was childless, and so the throne was passed on to the Duke of Paris, Hugh Capet. This marks the end of West Francia as we know it. From this point forward, the Western Frankish kings will be ruled by the Capetian dynasty. The Capetian dynasty ruled over France from this point until the French Revolution nearly 900 years later. 
And this is the moment in history where we leave the Franks and Charlemagne and West Francia and enter the age of France. From now on, we will call Western Frankish kings French kings. And we will call the Western Frankish kingdom France. Richard I of Normandy married the sister of Hugh Capet, the first king of France, and solidified his relationship with the French royal family. From this point on, it's official. The dukes of Normandy are of noble blood, tied directly to the French crown. Richard of Normandy strengthened his bond with the Pope in Rome by allowing monasteries to be built in his realm. No more can we say the Vikings were occupiers of Frankish lands. Now they were legitimate rulers in the eye of God. Unfortunately for Richard, his wife and only blood tie to the French crown passed away. Richard was forced to find a new wife, which apparently wasn't that difficult for him. The one thing we know for sure about Richard I is that he did not follow the rules of the church when it came to marriage. Richard had many mistresses, but it was his mistress Gonora, descended from Viking warlords, who bore him a son, also named Richard. And when Richard I died, it was his son Richard II, from his wife Gonora, who inherited the throne. In 996, Richard II became the Duke of Normandy. At this time in history, Basil II is the Roman Emperor in the East. Otto III is the Holy Roman Emperor in the West. Hugh Capet is the first King of France. And Vladimir the Great is the Tsar of Kievan Rus. And across the Channel, Ethelred was the King of England. We are still 100 years away from the First Crusade but already Normandy is a powerhouse in Western Europe. The Vikings had managed to become rulers in Russia, France, and soon to be England and Italy. In the year 1000, the Vikings began raiding England once again, and after raiding and pillaging villages and churches of England, they sailed across the Channel to Normandy, where they were given safe haven, and could sell their slaves and booty. This was a traditional Viking way of life, but the Normans were now Christian rulers, and the image was starting to tarnish. How could the Normans be considered true Christian stewards if they were giving safe haven to Viking warriors? That's a good question. How could they? It is a good question. <laughs> it is a good question. The King of England, Ethelred, responded by launching a raid. An army of Anglo-Saxons, or English, ferried across the English Channel and invaded Normandy. Perhaps they thought it would be an easy feat, or maybe they knew it was almost completely hopeless, but had no other choice. Either way, the English were met by strong resistance. The Vikings in Normandy were not the same as the Vikings in England, as the Normans had adopted the Frankish military tradition of a strong cavalry. And the Normans mustered thousands of knights and swept across the battlefield and annihilated the English army. Relations between the English and Normans were at an all-time low, but Richard II wanted to improve this, so he commissioned the marriage of his sister, Emma, to the English king, Ethelred. 
This bond between English kings and Norman dukes was meant to strengthen Ethelred at home against the Danish Vikings who occupied northern England. This marriage alliance served a greater purpose in historical terms. It gave the Normans a legitimate claim to the English throne, an event that will play a significant role in the near future. In 1025, Duke Richard II died, and his son Richard III became the new Duke of Normandy. At the exact same time, Basil II was dying, and the Byzantine Golden Age had reached its peak. Richard III ruled over Normandy for no more than a year. Some say his death was suspicious, but I'm not going to tell you his death was suspicious. I'll just tell you what happened. Richard II died and had two sons, Richard and Robert. Richard was given the title of Duke, and immediately after, his brother Robert waged a rebellion. Richard defeated his brother Robert, but released him in hopes of establishing peace. But right after, Richard died, and then Robert became Duke. Richard wasn't old, nor was he sick, and this led many to assume that his brother Robert had something to do with it. So you decide if that's suspicious or not. Now the Duke of Normandy is Robert, the great-great-grandson of Rollo the Walker. Does this make Robert Robert II or Robert I? It's kind of hard to tell. His great-great-grandfather Rollo changed his name to Robert, so it's easy to say that this was the second Robert, Duke of Normandy, but uh, historians have argued over this point before, and all we want to say is that Robert, Duke of Normandy, was the great-great-grandson of Rollo. The one thing that was for certain was that the civil war Robert started against his brother Richard III did not shut off when he gained control. It seemed that Pandora's box was opened, and there was no easy way to close it. Norman nobles had chosen sides in the war between Robert and Richard, and they did not stop fighting simply because one brother claimed victory. So Robert inherited a fractured Normandy. This fracture in Norman cohesion forced many noble Normans out of their land. They had either chosen the wrong side of the civil war or were cheated out of their rightful inheritance to settle the dispute of the civil war. Either way, many Normans found that there was nothing left for them in Normandy and they would seek their fortunes elsewhere. It is at this time that many Normans traveled south to the disputed lands of southern Italy to seek their fame and fortune. Let that sink in, because it is important. The civil war between Richard and Robert forced many Normans on the losing end of the dispute to leave their lands. They were considered the outcasts of Norman society, yet their ventures outside of Normandy would cement the future of the Byzantine Empire and thus the medieval Greek world. But we will address these Normans in the next episode. For now, we will finish the story of Richard III of Normandy. Robert engaged in a series of wars against the Bretons in Brittany, seized church lands, 
and even kicked out his uncle, who was the bishop. This move angered the Pope, and Robert of Normandy was excommunicated. Being excommunicated is not a big deal, unless you believe that this means you will not get into heaven. Now let's assume that he was not concerned about being denied entrance through the pearly gates of heaven. Being excommunicated meant you no longer had a legitimate rule of the land. And so anyone could go to war with you. And they had the full backing of the church. So being excommunicated had many secular penalties. But it's safe to say that Robert was very concerned with his soul because the excommunication triggered several key events. First, he reinstated the archbishop, who was his uncle, and second, he sought redemption by traveling to Jerusalem on a holy pilgrimage. Robert straight up left his post as Duke of Normandy, leaving it in the hands of his nobles. His son William, who was a bastard, was officially declared his heir and left under the protection of those loyal to Robert. It's obvious that Robert intended to return, but the journey on foot to Jerusalem was long and arduous. Duke Robert traveled on horseback through the Holy Roman Empire, through the Byzantine Empire, and stopped in Constantinople. At this time, the empire stretched to the frontiers of Anatolia, where Robert made his way through the Fatimid Caliphate to the city of Jerusalem. Even today, that is an incredibly long journey, but by medieval standards, it might as well be the other side of the world. However, he did make it to Jerusalem, where he prayed at the Holy Sepulchre. Unfortunately, he fell ill while he was in the Holy Land and on his return journey was forced to stop at the Roman city of Nicaea. And this is the same city as the Council of Nicaea where the Christian faith was codified. Robert II, Duke of Normandy, died in the city of Nicaea. This left his bastard son William, only eight years old, as the rightful Duke of Normandy. William, the great-great-great-grandson of Rollo the Walker, became the next Duke of Normandy. His contemporaries knew him as William the Bastard, but we have come to know him by a more noble and glorious name, that of William the Conqueror, the first King of England. Our next episode is not going to follow the reign of William, although we will touch upon his deeds at some point. Instead, our story will follow those Normans who left Normandy during the civil war between Robert and his brother Richard. The Normans who traveled to southern Italy to seek their fame and fortune elsewhere. For it is these Normans who are the ones who conquer southern Italy, push up against the Byzantine Empire, and ultimately set their eyes on the Roman throne as their final conquest. So what would you say stood out from this episode after going over it once again? Well, it's funny when we uh, were talking away and, and up came the, uh, the name Hugh Capet and uh, him be- being the beginning of the French kings that lasted like 900 years or so. Oh, that was, that was quite a remarkable thing. Yeah, you know, it's a couple times now where there's a uh, dynasty that lasts from this period all the way up till 
That's amazing. Not too long That's ago. Absolutely amazing. The Russian kings is one of them, descended yeah. from Vikings. Oh, yes, they made it right up to the Bolshevik Revolution. Yeah. And, um, oh, another one that came to my head mm-hmm. was Queen Emma. Yes. Going across the channel. I remember reading somewhere she was like 12 years old. Comes the Queen of England. And then, uh, and I also saw somewhere that she's through Queen Elizabeth today, her lineage gets traced back to her. She's in that line, bloodline. Pretty crazy. Yes. Yeah. They're all tied together for all these years. Oh, they, they definitely are. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the history of modern Greece. Stay safe and stay awesome. <laughs> <laughs>